Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. To see you high and lifted up. Shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 you are holy, 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 I want to see you. Holy, 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 you are holy, 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 I want to see you. Holy, 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 you are holy, 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 I want to see you one more time holy 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 you are holy 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 i want to see you darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running 
There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for our sake you died souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel and shall not fade by his blood and in his name in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God Majesty, praise forever to the King of Kings. Praise forever to the King of Kings. Amen. 
This one's a little bit more upbeat. I'm gonna, you know what? We're talking in the back room. We seen, <laughs> we seen a lot of craziness in our lives in church. Some of them on YouTube now. <laughs> people, people claim to be the move of the Holy Spirit can be. You need body armor to get out of the church service. <laughs> it's like God doesn't work that way. But we've seen the other side where things are just totally dead because we get so inhibited and afraid what people think and lose our dignity. <laughs> I want to be like David. David was moved by the Spirit. And sometimes he was quiet. Sometimes he cried. Sometimes he danced. I don't, I don't know about dancing here. We, <laughs> but it's a little bit upbeat so wherever you feel led but let the spirit guide you find me in this place again prone to wander lost in sin when I confess I am blessed, I will turn my heart to you. You are faithful and so true. When I confess I am blessed, there's no better place to be than to sit down at your feet and to live in fellowship so sweet. I will follow all the way, all the way. When you go, I'll go with you all the way, all the way. Joy will come and peace will stay when I trust you and obey. Help me do whatever you say all the way, all the way. I will rise up from defeat You have won the victory You will turn grace into praise Not a shadow or a fear Never sorrow or a tear Can abide here when you are near Where you lead me I will follow all the way all the way when you go i'll go with you all the way all the way joy will come and peace will stay when i trust you and obey help me do whatever you say all the way all the way help me do whatever you say all the way all the way oh trust and obey there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Trust and obey, trust and obey. 
way you lead me, I will follow all the way, all the way. When you go, I'll go with you all the way, all the way. Joy will come and peace will stay when I trust you and obey. Help me do whatever you say all the way, all the way. Where you lead me, I will follow all the way, all the way. When you go, I'll go with you all the way, all the way. Joy will come and peace will stay when I trust you and obey. Help me do whatever you say all the way, all the way. Help me do whatever you say all the way. All the way, all the way, all the way. Amen. Not halfway. Can we all stand? Our scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 4. Verses one through eight. You know, before I read it, could you pray um, in your hearts? We're going to do it right now. But pray for Jack. He's um, actually taking his son to the airport, so just traveling mercies for him. That's why he's not here with us today. I miss him. <laughs> Hope you hear that, Jack. You're live streaming while you're driving. Be safe. <laughs> I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You may be seated and we can dismiss our children. Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Welcome to those online. Look like half the church were kids this morning. Everybody's gone. Or maybe y'all saw me coming up and hit the back door. I don't know which, but either way, whoever's left is going to get it, whatever this is. And this is from the Lord, so I hope it's good. It is good. It's always good from him, right? As long as I get out of the way and let him do what he wants to do. Welcome everybody today. We're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Can't believe we're moving this quick through this book, but it's a good book. And our title this morning is Walk Worthy of the Calling with Which You Were Called. Father, we ask this morning that your spirit just really penetrate our hearts. Lord, it's so easy to get uh, focused on things going on around us with this war in Israel, the war in Ukraine, different nations getting involved, all these things happening. It's, it's very easy to do one of two things. One is to become fearful. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we're not given the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. So we're not to walk in fear. But the other extreme of that is we want to dive so far into prophecy that we're interpreting everything is that this means Jesus is coming back next week. <laughs> and Lord, we don't know the day or the hour. 
We cannot preach the day or the hour. What we can preach is that we are prepared today. For today is what you've given us, Lord. Tomorrow will take care of itself. If you return today and we're walking and abiding in you, and hallelujah, Lord, we get to see you today. If it's tomorrow, hallelujah. But woe to those who are so trapped into the wanting to figure things out than they are about knowing the one who already knows. Lord, we don't want to be out in the extremes. We want to be focused completely upon you in the midst of everything. And I thank you for that because, Lord, you're the one who brings balance. These minds of ours can go in extreme one way or the other, but you're the only one with balance. And we have the Holy Spirit. We, too, can walk in that balance. So I pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts regarding, regarding what we need for today. Because, again, we're, we're to minister to one another today. We're to encourage one another today. We're to be a light to one another today. And into this dark world, we're to be that light. But if we're so focused on the things yet to be that we're missing what we're supposed to be today, then we've missed the boat. So I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would just lead and guide us today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we saw Paul, while an apostle, he denied his apostleship's right. In other words, he had, he had rights like the other ones. If he wanted, that's the words he used was rights. He had the, the right to go with the believing wife. He had the right to, to, to have the church provide for his need when he came into town and ministered to them. He was an apostle. He had that right, but he did not use that right because he knew the hearts of the people and he knew that they would use it to find fault. Whether it was right or wrong, they were, gonna, they were looking for fault because they didn't trust him. They didn't accept his apostleship. So rather than him coming in and saying, listen, I know you don't believe I'm who I say I am, but I am because God called me to be, and so therefore you have a responsibility. He didn't do that. Because that, what, what that would have done is that would have pulled them into a whole different direction to where they're not going to listen to anything he has to say. And therefore the gospel would be ineffective. And Paul said, I don't want anything to be a distraction from the gospel. And he would rather suffer need than allow that to happen. Now, unlike many today, they use their gifts and talents as if they're their own. Oh, I have this gift, I have that gift. And not only do they say that, but then they want to profit from them. And if you're real good, and you're on my list, and I check it twice, I'll do my gift for you, and you've got to pay me to do it. And this is kind of how people sometimes take the things of God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not for sale, nor are the works of the Holy Spirit of which he gives us to do. They're not for sale. They're given to us, not for our benefit, while they do benefit, we receive benefit, they're actually given to us to benefit and edify the church. Every gift of God, every talent that he has given us to do and to use are for his glory and for the edification of the church. And if it ever gets to where it's about me and what I'm getting out of it, I've missed it and I become ineffective. We, in many cases have made a mockery of the kingdom of God by the way we've displayed it in the church. There needs to be an awakening. And finally, we saw Paul being all things to all people, and, and we talked about this last week. He didn't change the message from one group to the other. 
He didn't change uh, who Jesus was, what Jesus did. He didn't change anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what he did, but depending upon the audience, he, he observed and presented it in ways they could understand. So to the Jews, he spoke to them as Jews. They knew the law, so he spoke a lot about the law and talked about how Jesus came and the law was a foreshadow of his coming. To the Gentiles, he would go in and he would look at and observe of their temples and their worships and, and what they were doing. And he would say, listen, you've got all of these temples and you even got this one over here that said of the, uh, of, of the unknown God. Well, let me tell you about him because I know him. And he was able to lead into with the Gentiles and speak into them. So that's how he became all things to all people. And this within itself is discernment and wisdom from the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. I, I, for some reason, and I, I, this has just really kind of hit me harder this morning than normal, but for some reason, I just don't understand why we as the church cannot grasp the fact that we have God in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, with that being said, if we are abiding in Jesus, if we're following his word, if we're seeking him for everything, not depending upon ourselves for anything, then we should be able to draw upon what he wants to give us when we need it and when it's going to be effective. But why is that not happening today like it should? It's because we're in the way. And we're not seeing and listening and hearing because we think we can figure things out for ourselves. And we start observing things around us and we allow the emotions to kick back in. Well, let me tell you something. The emotions are the old self. Not that we die, the emotions go away when we become saved. That's not what I'm talking about. But remember when I just prayed, Jesus is the one who brings balance. Without Jesus, we're imbalanced, unbalanced, imbalanced, whichever word. Jack's not here to kind of nod or shake his head. I don't know. But we're not balanced because we are walking fully in into the emotional realm. What we taste, what we touch, what we feel, what we see, what we hear. Those five senses of man are the fleshly nature of man. And those five senses dominate us from birth up. Now when we meet Jesus, he says, listen, you can't go by what you hear. You've got to trust me. Yeah, but, but, but God, do you see this happening over here? Yeah, believe me, I've seen it before it ever happened. Don't worry about that. I see the big picture. You don't. Oh, I want to touch this, and I want to hold this, and I want to feel that, and I want to taste this. And Jesus says sometimes, that's not good for you. Don't touch that. It's not good to taste. It may taste good when you eat into it, but it's going to be bitter when you swallow it. And it's going to mess up your stomach. Don't touch it. Don't taste it. You see where I'm going with this? We can get right back into that same mindset as believers because we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. We're back navigating again. Jesus is our navigator. Holy Spirit, the Word of God. All of this is what is supposed to be in control of our lives when we're believers. But if that's not happening, we're back in that driver's seat again and we're going the wrong way. You're just going the wrong way. So we need to pray for this discernment and wisdom from the Holy Spirit so we speak what we're supposed to speak, so we listen and hear and acknowledge what we're supposed to hear, and then we're walking in and on the path that He sets for us, not the one that we have set for ourselves. Because that's ineffective, 
And you cannot bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into the fleshly mindset and make it work. They do not coexist, period. It won't happen. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit and let him lead us and guide us as we go. And that's what Paul has learning and that's, had learned, and that's what he's teaching us. Now, this week, Paul gives examples from Israel on how we should or should not behave as believers. We will look at communion, idolatry, and once again, we're going to look at our liberties and how they may or may not affect others. Now, you probably noticed we didn't do communion today. That's because Jack actually was prepared to do that. He, uh, his schedule changed suddenly. had to, His son's flight changed, so he had to move it up and wasn't able to be here. So we're doing that next week. Just want to let everybody know. We didn't forget. We do it once a month. We're going to do it next week. But let's begin our message this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Just real quick, that's interesting, an interesting thought. That rock that they drew water from was Jesus himself. Interesting thought there, but that's what it tells us right there. That rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In verse 5, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So we're going to stop there for just a moment. This is an interesting passage, what Paul writes here in this part of this book. The Israelites were given a special gift. They had God lead them out of Egypt. He used Moses and Aaron, but God did the leading. He led them out of Egypt miraculously. He had all the plagues that would come. And every time the, a plague would come, Pharaoh's heart would soften just a little bit. Okay, I'll let him go. And then he'd change his mind. Then the next plague would come, and the next plague. And they kept coming. Because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. And it also says that God hardened his heart. That's a whole different discussion. We're not going to get into that one today. 
But they saw all of these things. They had God lead them out. They had the fire. They had the cloud. They witnessed the miraculous deliverance at the Red Sea. They saw God's hand of provision with manna from heaven. The quail being blown in by the wind when they needed it. Their clothes not wearing out or their sandals for over 40 years in the desert. All of this, God gave them and revealed himself to them, but yet they were not content. They were not content. Every time that they got into a little trouble or they got to feeling a little bit down or got discontented. Oh, if we were just back in Egypt, we'd know what we could get there. Yeah, you got whips. You got beat. You didn't get the straw to make the bricks. You had all this stuff. You were in torment day in, day and night. But we knew what to expect. I want to go back. Craziness, isn't it? But this is the human nature. And I've said this before, but think about it. Many people are more content with the demon they know than the provision of God that they can't see. Why is that? Back into the fleshly nature. I know what to expect. I can hide behind a rock. I can do this. I can do that. They can manipulate their way around this situation. You can't manipulate around God. And God will provide what you need when you need it. But he won't give you that, that little extra you think you want if it's going to cause your flesh to rise up and you're going to become discontent. God does not like discontented people. But this is what they were going through. And what did they do? They complained. And they grumbled. And then Moses would go up on the mountain. And here's the other thing about that. Moses had to go to the mountain to hear from God because they were too afraid to hear from God themselves. God spoke to them while he was on the mountain. And they all pulled back and said, Oh no, if we hear the voice of God, surely we'll die. Moses, you go. And then come back and tell us what he says. Now, this is another thing we've discussed in previous messages too. And think about this. It's easier to rationalize your sin when you're not in the presence of God than it is to be in the presence of God and know that your sin is exposed. That's why they didn't want to go. Surely we'll die? Yeah, because you're discontented, grumbling, complaining people, and you won't change the attitude of your heart. And you know it. That's why you don't want to be in God's presence. So Moses, you go. So what does he do? He goes to the mountain. Now he's up there a little longer than they expect. Forty days. And what happens? Well, surely by now, God killed him, I guess. He's got to be dead. So, take an earring, take us gold. And what do we do? Aaron, you're going to make us a golden calf. You're going to make us an idol. And that's what they did. They went after the idol. Now this, these were God's people. He gave them the law of Moses. He gave it to them knowing that they couldn't live up to it. Which no one could. It wasn't given to save them. Very important that, under, that people understand that. The law of Moses was not given as a salvation. It was given as a realization. This is my standard, and this is yours. You can't measure up to it. Now, that's not an easy position to be put in. We have to give that to Israel. But at the same time, they didn't want to. They didn't even want to strive to. The only time they really sought after God most of the time in their history was when they were in trouble. 
because they constantly got into trouble. Again, same thing that happens to us today. Many today want to live on that mountaintop, but when you're on that mountaintop, that's the most vulnerable place as far as the spiritual goes because you take your eyes off of God and look at the mountain and everything in the beautiful visions and all the things he's provided. You're up here. Sometimes he's got to bring us right back down here so we can be in his presence and hear his voice and people cry out to God more in the valley than they do on the mountain. They seek him more in the valley. Now, that's a sad thought to think that we have to be in the valley to be closer to God because we're not content enough to be able to be there when we're on the mountaintop. I praise God when we see him face to face, all that's going to change. These fleshly things and all this mess is going to be gone. That's a wonderful thought to think about. But today, (laughs) we still have that battle going on, just as Israel did. So the law was a burden to them they didn't want the law the sacrifices over and over the yearly atonement every sacrifice for this sacrifice for this the feast here the feast it was all set up and they had to do these things and practice these things but they were a discontented people now again we know that the law couldn't save them it was never intended to galatians 3 19 through 25 tells us What was the purpose of the law? It says in verse 19, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. (laughs) Their sin that they had in their hearts was exposed by the law. And they couldn't deny it because God said it. And this is what his standard is. And again, ours is down here, so we couldn't meet it. So the purpose of the law was added because of transgressions. Until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. That's Jesus himself, by the way. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But therefore, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would be afterward, which afterward would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by what? Faith, not the works of the law, but by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Now that's pretty clear regarding the purpose of the law, the activity of the law, the, the mediation of the law, and now Jesus came and what did he do? He fulfilled that law. He didn't eliminate it. He fulfilled it. So what does that mean for us? We're no longer under The tutor, which is the law, which was a foreshadow of the coming of Jesus himself, the last lamb, the last sacrifice ever needed to be made. Jesus himself came, fulfilled every line of the law, every dot, every tittle is done. So therefore, we do not have to live under the law. We live by faith in Jesus Christ. He now becomes all things to us. People will say, well, what about the Ten Commandments? Are they eliminated? No, they're not eliminated. It's just all in Jesus. Our Sabbath... Our rest is Jesus. 
Not about a day. Colossians tells us that very clearly. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. He becomes everything to us. So we see this and we go through this. And the law was added to expose this sin. And it was to reveal God's plan of salvation through Jesus himself. It was also to lead us through faith to Jesus. But the Israelites had hardened their hearts all through their history leading up to the coming of Jesus. And because of their sin and rebellion, they missed their Messiah and had him killed. Again, the hardness of the heart. So Paul lays out their history here for us as examples of what not to do. <laughs> they all had what they needed. It was all provided by the hand of God. But they were not content. And I tell you this morning, unless you walk in Jesus Christ by faith, there's no way you're going to be content. Period. You're born with a discontented, sinful nature. Give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want. And in today's culture, I want it now. Instant. Got to have it right now. And if you can't give it to me, the church down the road will. Because there's a church on every corner that will give you something that you want. And some things that are really bad for you. But if that's what you want, you can find it. And they'll still put the word church on their sign. You can get what you want. But you can only get what you need through Jesus Christ. And that's the only place that you will find contentment. And we have to walk in faith. The lust of the flesh will always lead us to wanting more and we'll never be satisfied there's no place i promise you this and you can do your own search on it if you want but most of the people who played the lottery and won it big are some of the most miserable people ever because they didn't know what to do with it they had people taking advantage of them and the next thing you know they're they've outspent themselves how can you outspend 10 million or 20 million or a billion dollars well, believe me, people can do it. <laughs> and they're not content because, oh, I want something else. I want something else. I want something else. And when you have that kind of money at hand, you can have whatever you can afford to buy. And while the gospel of Jesus Christ is not for sale, Satan will sell you anything at a cost. And it isn't money he's interested in. He's interested in your soul being separated from God for eternity. That's all his purpose is right now. Is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So money's not going to bring you happiness. Though you think it will. It'll just make you more unhappy with more stuff. Think about it this way. The more stuff I have, the more I realize I didn't like. If I didn't have it, I wouldn't have known I didn't like it. Now I got it. Don't like it. Want more. Want something different. As a lot of you know, my truck's been in the shop for about a month. Uh, not my truck, my, see, truck's on my mind. I have a Kia Sorento, 2012. When I bought it in 2018, it had a brand new engine put in it because that particular model of that car had a recall that said that that engine is prone to lock up. The guy who bought it right before I did, he bought it off a lot to sell, the engine locked up on him when he drove it off the lot. They put a brand new engine in it. So I had a brand new engine in this car when I bought it. Well, guess what? It blew again. And they covered it, put a brand new engine in it. So 
you know, I, I'm blessed beyond, uh, you know, I just, just tell you, I had a couple in the church here loan me a car that I could drive around when I needed to when Jennifer was out of town or whatever. I also have my, the work where I go to work. He let me take his vehicle to and from work every day, and I was using his vehicle at work, so I, I didn't have need of anything. I didn't like driving that little car from work. I hope he's not listening, but I pick at him all the time. I told him the other day I took it by the Toyota dealership and was going to trade it in for him, but they wouldn't let, take my signature. I mean, it, it runs, and it did everything I needed, but I didn't want to be seen in it. It was really ragged out. I mean, it's rusty, got rust spots all over it, and no hubcaps on the wheels and all the stuff, but you know what? It ran, and it got me where I needed to go, and I was blessed and content. So this past weekend... Um, my, my, I knew my car was getting, getting close to being ready, but I was going out of town for a couple of days up to this place we go camping up here in North Georgia, and so I went and rented because Kia was also going to reimburse most of my car rental. I rented a Toyota Tacoma. <laughs> 2023. <sighs> That's what I'm talking about. I felt, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got behind the wheel of that thing, and I drove that truck up there. And I told, uh, well, actually, I drove it back to where I work at first. And, it, you know, it's kind of funny. People come out and ooh and ah over a rented vehicle, too, not just when you buy. Oh, man, that's nice. I said, yeah. I said, me and my wife, we're about to have a real big fight. Because <laughs> I want this truck. <laughs> Which, honestly, I knew we weren't going to have a fight because she put her foot down to be a, it wouldn't really be a discussion. We never got into a fight. But the truth is, I drove that truck for two and a half days. And after the end of that two and a half days, I said, this is a little bit of a letdown. The engine was a little louder than I expected it in there. It didn't ride near as smooth as I thought it was going to. And then I got mine back. Mine was done Saturday. I went and picked up mine, and I drove mine. After driving two and a half days at Toyota Tacoma, I drove my 2012, the new engine, and that thing drove smoother than it ever had. And I'm thinking, man, I like this car. I don't want to blow another engine in it because it's a whole month to get it fixed. But you see where I'm going with this. I had this opportunity to drive this brand new truck. Now, had I had the money when that car blew, I would have probably just and went and bought me one. But I wouldn't have been content with it after I had it for a week. This doesn't drive as good as my other one did. And my other one was a lot older. You see, it, you can never find that perfect thing that you think, and, and Toyota Tacoma is the number one selling pickup truck in america right now but it didn't quite give me what i expected why because the flesh always builds up something in your mind until you actually have it and then you realize it doesn't meet your expectations your expectations are always way above reality it's just the way it is and there's an old saying and it can it can apply in many many ways in the lust of the flesh but the fantasy is always better than the reality if you're living in the fantasy world. Because it never measures up. It can't. So anyway, my wife and I did not have a fight because I told her when I got I said, look, I said, I, I'm glad that I drove this truck because that's probably the only time I'm going to have the opportunity to drive one. But I'm really not that impressed in it. And when I got in mine and drove it off the lot, man, that thing was nice. I was so glad. And it's paid for with a brand new engine. Woo! Anyway. You'll always want more, and you'll never be satisfied. The Israelites grumbled and complained. We grumble and complain. 
They lusted and fell into idolatry. It happens today, even within the walls of the church. Idolatry, lust, it takes place. So Paul gave us these examples, and I've just listed them out, and I'm pulling them right out of the scripture we just read. Number one, that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Number two, do not become idolaters as were some of them. Number three, do not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Number four, do not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted. And number five, do not complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So what is Paul saying here in these particular points? This is what they did. This was their result. The church is here. Don't do these things. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, don't do these things. Overall, what he's saying is no matter where you come from, no matter what your culture, we're all born into sin, and these very things that Paul listed here are the core of our fleshly being before we're born again. All of these points are what we're driven to to find satisfaction. Whether it's uh, evil things that we lust after, idolatry, adultery, sexual immorality, tempting Christ, daring him to give you what you want, or complaining and being disgruntled people. All of that is the fleshly nature. He just described to us, by example, who we already are in the flesh. But then he says, don't do these things. Well, what, does that mean we have a choice? Only when we meet Jesus. That's the only choice we really have. When we meet Jesus, that gives us the choice between living as we were and all of these things we just described or living in him and learning to be content, learning to walk in love and in peace and in joy and having that fruit of the Spirit flow through us that can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't generate it. Now, we can have good days. Let me say good moments. Let me say good day even. <laughs> in the flesh, you can have a good moment where you feel good about yourself because you gave a homeless person $10. Or maybe you helped somebody in a need. And maybe you bought somebody lunch. Maybe you did this. Maybe you did that. You can feel good about yourself. And those are good things to do. But is that as good, that's as good as it gets. In the flesh, that is as good as it gets. All those wonderful deeds. All those wonderful things that you do for somebody else. Throughout your lifetime. Will not measure up to the point where you can say. Jesus, I'm, I'm ready to come in. And he's going to say, come on. He's going to say, no, I never knew you. You did a couple of good things in your lifetime. But I'm sorry. You didn't know me. And I didn't know you. Because we never had the relationship. It was all about work. It was all about these things. So again, no matter what our background, whatever it is, these are the core of our being. And no one is immune. No one is immune. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what, is it, what do we have to do here? We have to guard ourselves from ourselves. <laughs> and that's the challenge there. Guarding yourself from yourself. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? God does. But we don't even know our own heart most of the time. We lie to ourselves more than other people lie to us. And we blame the devil for a whole lot more than we did to ourselves. Because 
of our sinful nature that we fell back into and decided it was important for us at the time. Consequences come. We have to deal with that. And the only way to guard yourself from yourself is to walk and abide in Jesus. Period. Otherwise, we'll do and act just as the Israelites did. And if God was not pleased with them, you think he's going to be pleased with us? Well, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I would say the answer to that is no. He will not be pleased with us if we walk in those same things. So how do we please God? How can a broken, sinful person please God? Well, he doesn't until he walks in faith with Jesus Christ. It's by faith. Does that mean that you're instantly, completely delivered from every fleshly part of your nature? No, now becomes the walk. See, there's a walk that has to be done. It's a continued relationship that you're building upon day by day, moment by moment. And as you're growing, God is revealing. And as God is revealing, he's changing. And as he's changing, you're becoming more like him. And the more like him you are, the more effective you're going to be in your walk. But he's pleased not by what you do, but what you believe. Because what you believe should dictate what you do. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, comes up, it will come forth. We have to believe in him, that he exists, and we have to believe his word. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, there, there's a key nugget in there. Number one, well, several. Number one, without faith, you can't please him. That's a given. That's a solid foundational truth. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot please God. So you have to first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who what? Seek him diligently. In other words, there's the real golden nugget here. It's a continual seeking, knocking, asking. It's a continual being in his presence. Oh, Lord, I know I'm weak. I know. And, and also recognizing who you are in the fleshly nature. So you're coming saying, I don't want to be that anymore. And you're coming constantly seeking for his strength, his deliverance, his substance, his provision. That's what we're looking for in that relationship. And you seek him diligently, knowing that he's going to reward you when you do. Does that mean money in your pocket? If you need money in your pocket, yes. But it's not going to be food on the table and money necessarily. Those are all part of the thing, things. Even Jesus said, don't worry about all this other stuff. You know, even the birds of the air, they got their food, they got their shelter, they got everything they need. He knows what we need. He's going to provide that. But what he's saying is goes even beyond that. Now I want to change your nature to be more like me. And as I'm doing that, that's the real reward. That's the reward that he's going to give us is a new nature that we're walking by faith in relationship, changing us, becoming more like him for whose benefit? For ours, yes, but for those around us as well because now everything is flowing through us. We're no longer about us. It's not about me, me, me. It's about God first and it's about others. And he will use us but he'll also provide for us and he will give us what we need. So Paul here, after he, he shows us that these five things, he's given us as examples, it can also lead us into temptation. 
we have to be careful. These, this fleshly nature. When we give into the fleshly nature, we become prideful and self-sufficient. It's no longer about God being our provider. It's about, well, if I work a little harder, I'll get that promotion. Is it wrong to, have a, to get a promotion at work? No, it's not. Is it wrong to do your best on your job? No, as a matter of fact, the Word tells us to do all things as though you do it as unto the Lord. So you should work. You should have a good work ethic. You should do all these things as long as God's giving you a job and giving you the ability to work. You should be working hard and effectively doing those things. But at the same time, is your goal there to be at the top of the ladder and step on everybody's toes to get there? No. That's the wrong attitude. And if somebody else gets promoted above you, are you going to be discontent and grumble and complain because you're more talented, you're, but you're smarter, you know more than you've done it? Matter of fact, you trained them. Ooh. When you train your new boss. That's happened before, hadn't it? I worked for, in the printing industry. I had this one customer. They were a financial company. They loaned money to people, and we printed all their statements and all their things, and we mail them out every, every month, you know. And, uh, and they had a tendency to go through vice presidents. These, these large banking or any kind of financial company or, or even any big business, whatever, They'll change, and, and they give you a title of vice president because it means something to you. It means nothing to them. It means nothing to anybody else, but I'm vice president of, of cleaning the toilets. <laughs> That's right. I got people under me that have to do it exactly the way I want it done, and I guarantee you when they get the word vice president in their title, they had to change something every time. Now, being in the printing industry, I got in the door through a referral. We did something that hadn't been done for them before. We, we, had to, we went to a, a computer programmer and had him write a program that made everything variable, that they could print variable data on their statements. It wouldn't be just a generic thing. And we created that whole thing for them. Nobody else had had it could get it done. I found a programmer. We got it done. They loved us, and everything was going great. Well, that was the vice president of whatever at that particular time. He was gone within a month. New person comes in. They didn't know nothing. I had to retrain them. And I had to train them on how we do things and what's that. And they saw it work, but they had to change something. Some little something. Just so they could put on their resume, I was vice president of such and such, and I did this and applied this and brought this whole thing into a whole new realm. Well, then they're gone, and we had to do it again. And I got to the point, I had one person that I was working with regularly, and we got to laugh and said, man, we get to train your new boss again, don't we? She said, yeah, here we go again. Four or five times. This is just how it works in the, in, the, in the world. And you get these titles and you get this stuff, but it, it means nothing. And, but, 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 and the fleshly nature, it means everything. Because now you've got something on paper to say, I can be self-sufficient. I can make things happen. I can make change. I'm your next best thing. You need to hire me. That's in that realm of it. But in the spiritual realm, it becomes more like this. God... I know you provide it, and I appreciate it. But if you let me, or maybe even if you don't, I could provide myself a little bit more. I could do a little over here, and I can do this, and I can do that. Next thing you know, we become self-sufficient, prideful. Then it makes us think that we're stronger than we actually are. And our strength is in the Lord. It's not in ourselves. The minute we forget that, we find ourselves facing the temptation with no strength to bear it. 
Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or to be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And you say, well, why is that? Why did you bring that verse in? What does that really apply? Well, the armor of God is Jesus himself. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the different things that Ephesians lists as far as the armor, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield, the, the breastplate, the, the loins, everything is Jesus himself. He guards us and girds us up and gives us the ability, provides that armor for us that we can stand when that temptation comes, when that evil comes our way, when Satan's throwing those fiery darts. We have that breastplate of righteousness. We have the shield of faith. We have everything that we need. But it's Jesus himself. And the minute that we turn away from that and say, I can do this or I can do that in my own strength, the temptation will be right at your door to take you down. And you won't have the strength to stand because it's Jesus himself is our strength. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. He has done this for us. He gave his only begotten son for us. That who believe by faith that he is. And is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Will cover you in his righteousness. And in the garments of salvation. And it's Jesus himself that does this. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So what does this mean? It all comes down to Jesus. It all comes down to the relationship. It all comes down to the understanding that we have no strength within ourselves to do anything except to submit ourselves unto him. That's our place. That is our role. That is our call. Everyone has the same call. Now, in that call, there's subcalls. <laughs> But, you know, when you're talking about the call of Jesus, what is, what is a call on my life? What is this call? And Paul says, you know, walk worthy of the calling. What is this calling? It's to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's to walk in faith in that relationship. That is your call. And he's calling all. Not all will answer that call. But he's calling. And the Spirit of God is knocking on the doors of hearts. And he wants us to come to him. And he wants us to walk in him. And he wants us to grow in him. But that is our call. And then as we grow in him, he will give us those sub calls. I want you to go over here and do this. And I want you to be, be uh, in the worship. Or I want you to be a teacher. Or I want you to be, uh, you know, maybe call a, a prophet or teacher or evangelist. Whatever. It may be some of those things. But it also may be, this is a place I've given you to work. That's your call. Be a light to me wherever you are. That's your call. It doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. 
Many times as new believers come in, a lot of times the first thing they want to know, oh, is God going to call me to be a missionary? Am I going to be a teacher? Am I going to be? Listen, get to know Jesus for a while. and He'll tell you what your call is. And it may be something that's completely surprising. And a lot of people I've heard, I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to go to Africa. Well, there's India too. <laughs> there's also your next door neighbor. The town over. Oh, I don't like that town. I ain't going to that town. Well, that may be the town you need to go into. You see where I'm going? It's not a matter of having to know every specific thing that God's got you to do. It's knowing Him, and He will give you those things as He needs to give them to you. And at that point, you'll be able to receive it and understand it. Now, verses 14 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we, are all, we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Paul shifts gears here a little bit somewhat. And he begins to speak specifically about idolatry. And he talks right here about communion. He says, we know that communion is done in remembrance because that's what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So when we gather together, and we'll do this again next week, but when we gather together and we partake of the bread and we partake of the, of the cup, the bread is the bro- represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup is for the remission of sins through the blood of Jesus. It's all done in remembrance. But Paul's taking this a little bit further here. It's so much more than that. He says the cup and the bread are blessed. But he goes on to say that believers are one bread and one body. Whoa, never thought about that. If every believer in Jesus Christ is a true believer and we have the Holy Spirit and we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are already in communion, in unity one with another because we partake of the same bread, Jesus Christ. We partake of the same cup, the shedding of his blood. We've received the truth of who he is. We're one bread and one body. If we as individuals believe in Jesus, we become the corporate body of Christ. And we should be communing together. That's what we're called to do. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, I, for the, there, or I therefore the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness. With long suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. There is one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of you all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. If you read that in, the, in context of everything what it's saying, we are all now one in Christ, in the body of Christ, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that everybody else has. I just don't understand all the arguing in churches when we all have the same Holy Spirit. Somebody ain't listening. Got to be a got to be a disconnect somewhere. If you're fighting over carpet and paint and 
this and the little silly things that come along. Listen, there should not be any fights in the body of Christ. I know there are. Goes back to what we talked about earlier. We still have that fleshly nature. And when we're not abiding and walking in that relationship as we should, and we allow that flesh to creep up, things happen, and divisions come in, and we have these problems. But we are the corporate body. We should be in unity with each other. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into the body, where the Jews or Greeks, where the slaves are free, and been made to drink one into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. I mean, Paul goes through, and, and we're going to get to that when we get into that particular section. As we go through those verses, we're going to see the body and the different parts of the body and the different aspects of, of why the eye can't say, I'm not, I don't need the hand, and the hand can't say, I don't need this. And, and the other aspect of that is the eye doesn't need to be the ear. If he's an eye, let him be an eye. Don't seek to be an ear. You're called to be what you're called to be, and you need to do what you're called to do. And if we're one body, then we need to be holy as he is holy as one body. Meaning that we cannot have some offending others with our freedoms or allowing our freedoms to tank the body, which opens the door for idolatry. And this is where Paul concludes this portion of this letter, verses 19 through 33. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. In other words, when I go to, to Ingalls Meat Market, I don't go in there and get a ribeye and say, that wasn't offered to, to an idol, was it? Because half the people back there wouldn't know if it was or wasn't anyway. But if they say, yes, it was, well, I'll, have to, I'll take this one then. <laughs> you know, but he says, don't ask. Don't, don't go ask all these things. Eat whatever's sold in the market. Ask no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever's set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. I'm not going to go to somebody's house and ask, you know, well, do you, did you sacrifice this or did you do this or did you pray over it this way? Listen, when I pray over my food, it's prayed over, it's done. But I'm not going to go asking a bunch of questions. Well, you know what? I'm going to have to pass. <laughs> I really don't want that one that sacrificed that idol, Moloch, or whatever other God of the day is. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. This was Paul's entire life's focus. The gospel of Jesus Christ, living it out, not bringing offense to others because of his liberties, not allowing himself to, to put somebody else down because their conscience was different than his or their convictions were different. We covered all this in a previous message, so I'm not going to stay focused on that. But his purpose was being a light to others, letting the word of the Lord be a light to others. So ultimately, this, this does lead us back to what we previously studied, putting others above ourselves, Keeping our vessels holy, first in our actions, and second in our attitudes toward others and one another. And this also leads us back to one key point from last week's message. Don't let anything become a distraction or a stumbling block that hinders the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what your convictions or freedoms are, as long as it's not a sin... That's, that the word is very clear on. Because there are some that will take it that far. Well I have freedom. Paul says all things are, are lawful for me now. So I can go and, and have an adulterous affair. Because now all things are lawful. No, no, no. Adultery is a sin. Sexual sin is spoken of all through the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. It's very consistent what it is. You can't take that out of context and make it what you want. And that includes adultery, homosexuality, transgender, whatever the, the word of the day is. And they call it the alphabet gang. They keep adding letters to it. Whatever you call yourself or put yourself to be, if it goes against God's word, you cannot rationalize or justify it or make it anything right. It's, it's wrong, period. However, when you get into these other areas about foods and, and, and freedoms of, of maybe having a drink here or not there or this or that and the other, if you have a that's fine. But don't hold that over somebody else and bring that un and, and bring their convictions to a challenge because once you do that, you've brought division. And you will send somebody out of the church really quick over something like that. And that's not what Paul tells us we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be a stumbling block. If our freedoms or our pride toward others bring offense, then we've missed the mark. We've missed it. And we've not lived up. To the calling of which you're called. Now again, that gets back to what we were talking about earlier. What is our calling? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love one another as ourselves. That is our really true. Those two commandments sum up everything else. Sums up all the law and prophets. So it must sum up our relationship with God. Very simply put. But things that are very simply put are also very difficult to apply. <laughs> Application is a little different than reading it. You've got to die yourself you've got to then force your own emotional needs and wants and desires and put them into perspective say God I still struggle with this I still desire this I still want this and I'm going to tell you something as Christians you are going to have fleshly desires that go against God's word period they are there some of them are so deeply rooted because of habit some of them because of genetics some of them because of, of addictions whatever they might be that doesn't mean that the desire goes away and a lot of people it does hallelujah I praise God for when you're delivered from the from the, even the want or desire of it but there are many that go through their entire life as strong solid Christian believers who love Jesus with all their heart but did still struggle with an area of their life 
And they have to die to it every moment of every day. And that's a true walk of one who wants Jesus above his flesh. The flesh sometimes stays and that desire stays. Not to torment us, but to remind us that we have to stay in relationship with Jesus. That there's evil here, there's death here, there's love here, and there's life here. We need it in Jesus. To understand that. Because many people I've heard and seen turn away from the church or turn away from the Lord. Because they still struggle. And they don't want to struggle anymore. And they don't want to be hypocrite. That's part of my own testimony. Growing up, I went to church. Six years old, got baptized. Prayed the prayer. But I felt like it didn't take. Because I kept wanting stuff, even at that age. And as I got older, that I knew was wrong. Why did I know it was wrong? Because the Word said it, what little I knew at the time. But also, because I just knew. But I wanted it. And so I thought, well, well, surely God would take this desire from me if it really took. So I felt like I had to pray that prayer again. I can't tell you how many times I got saved. Didn't really get saved any of those times. And the reason why is because I was still thinking it had to do with my fleshly works to live up to what God wanted to do in me. I didn't know about the dying yet. I didn't know that this was something that I had to, had to choose him over. And, I could, and even in those weak moments, and even if I fell, he still loved me and he would pick me up and clean me up. I didn't understand any of that. I didn't understand the grace of God. All I understood was this is, this is you pray this prayer and that's it. Well, I went through my whole life that way. And around 21, 22 years old, I remember very clearly saying, I ain't going back to church. I'm not going to live like a hypocrite. If I can't be the Christian I'm supposed to be, I'm not going back. And I didn't. And then I got married. And I had two kids. And that relationship was doomed to failure from day one because neither one of us knew Jesus. And how we made it eight years, I don't know. And when God, when things fell apart, that's when I met Jesus. Talk about a come to Jesus moment. Because I still wanted it. I was still one of those that wanted to stay in a doomed relationship and horrible things, not without, without God, just because it's what I knew. I didn't want it to end. But it ended. And when it ended, I was on my face, on the floor in the living room, kicking and screaming, that I was unlovable because that's how I felt. And in the midst of that, God spoke to me and said, but I love you. Well, I just kicked a little louder, screamed a little louder. No, but he spoke to me three times that night. What an audible voice. I'm not going to say the, the room shook and flames and all that. No, it was something I felt in my heart that Jesus spoke. And that's when I met Jesus. And then... I was 20, no, I was 34 years old, 33 years old. Some, I don't know, a long time ago. I'm well past that now. I'm past the age of remembrance. <laughs> I know it's not in the Bible, but I'm using it. But, that, but I remember, that's, that's when it began. That's when the relationship began. And it's taken all that time to continue to understand, peeling these layers of flesh off and still struggling, peeling things off, still struggling, peeling things off, still struggling, but still knowing 
Now there's a knowing. It's no longer it didn't take. It took. Jesus did what he said he did. It's accomplished. It's finished. I've just got to live it out, and I've got to do it moment by moment, take up his cross daily, and follow him. That's the relationship that we're called to do. Is it going to be easy? No. It's not. Because it goes against every grain of our body to die to it. We're survival nature people. We want to do whatever we can do to take care of ourselves. And God says, that's no longer you. Now, you're over here. I'm the one that's going to take care of you. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And that's the walk we have to go into. And again, going back to our other message, that doesn't mean that we seek to, to change the circumstance we're in. We seek to live for Jesus in it and let him work it all out. Even if it's not a pleasant circumstance, we still live it out by faith. So what is all this about? Going back to our title, it's walking worthy, the calling with which you're called. Walking worthy means that you die to yourself and you live for him. That's really all it means. And if you walk in that worthiness of the relationship with Jesus Christ, he will take care of the, limp, the, the, the big things and the littlest bitty tiny details of your life. It's all going to be worked out in the hands of God. And again, that doesn't mean it's all going to be pleasant. There's still molding he's doing. And you know how, if any of you have ever worked with clay, clay, you've got to beat it to death to get all the air out of it. I mean, if you've you got air bubbles and you form whatever and you haven't got those air bubbles out, when you put it in that oven, it's just going to pop open and it's going to have all kinds of scars and just it's ugly because you didn't get the air out of it. I remember doing that as a kid. I'd beat on it, and I'd roll it up, and they'd say, okay, now do it again. Now do it again, and do it again. And finally, it was able to be molded and, and used and put in that fire to come out something that it was supposed to be. Well, our walk is no different. We're full of hot air. God wants to beat that air out of us so he can mold us to be what he wants us to be. To be used for his glory. Yes, for his glory, but also for the edification of others. All of it comes back down to that relationship. And walking and abiding and living it out. And it's a moment-by-moment -moment thing. So we have today. And this goes back to when I opened in our prayer and I talked about what's going on around the world. Listen, what's going on around the world is not, not pleasant. It's not good. It's horrible. We're in a world war whether people want to realize it or not. We're, we're, we're fighting Russia through Ukraine. We're fighting uh, Hamas through Israel because we're providing for them, which we should. We fired missiles into Syria. And there's, there's missiles coming out of Iraq attacking our bases. If you don't think that the world is at war, then you're not, you don't have your eyes open. It hasn't been declared by the nations behind it. Iran is sitting pretty good right now, directing all this stuff. But they're, they're the, one of the big powers that be right now that's, in, that's involved in all this. So we can look at all this going on, and we can do one of two things. Oh, it's all over. Give up. Or you can go to the other extreme, and you can say, oh, this means that Jesus is coming a week from Thursday at 3 o'clock because, uh, you know, all this wouldn't be happening otherwise. Listen, I still do not know the day or the hour. I do believe that the word of God was very clear on that one point. With prophecy, the biggest danger in prophecy, and it's not that we're not to study it, we should. And I can tell you right now, prophetically speaking, Jesus is coming back. 
That's going to happen. There's other things that also have to take place. We I understand scripture that will happen before that takes place. But either way. You have to be careful that when you're studying prophecy. That you're not taking the latest headline. And putting that. Pulling scripture to that headline and making that. all oh, this fulfills that prophecy. Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And what happened today may be wiped out tomorrow. So where does that leave us? It leaves us right here. We have today. We have today. Tomorrow's coming. Jesus is coming. Not tomorrow. Or if he does, hallelujah. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't want y'all to get that confused. Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes, he's going to take the church. He's going to pour out his wrath upon this land for three and a half years with seven-year total tribulation. But three and a half years, it's going to be God pouring out wrath upon this earth. For the unbelievers, those who rejected him, not for the believers, the believers will not face God's wrath, period. Now, how he does it, if you don't believe in the rapture and you say you're going to be here through it, and that's what happens, he's still going to take care of you because God is not going to pour his wrath on his people. We're the bride of Christ. However, the wrath is coming. The thing that we as the church need to understand is the persecution is coming before the wrath. They're two separate things. The persecution of the church is different than, the, than God pouring out his wrath in Revelation. And we in the United States, the church in the United States needs to awaken to the fact that we are not immune to persecution. And we're not prepared for it. When we're up there telling you can have whatever you want, just believe it, name it, claim it, grab it, stab it, whatever. You know? you got to take it for what it says. And what it says is, as we have today. Go read Hebrews. Hebrews is a wonderful book. But it speaks of this more than once in Hebrews. Today is a day of salvation. Today, if you will hear my voice and not rebel as they did. This is another section in Hebrews that talks just about what we talked about today. That you don't rebel as some of them. Today is the day. You have today. What are we doing with our life today? I know tomorrow's coming. It's a Monday. Nobody likes Mondays. We know it's coming. But the truth is, is that Monday will come when Monday comes. We have right now. What is our attitude in Jesus right now? Are we fearful because of the world's events? Are we overzealous because we think Jesus is going to come back next week? Or are we saying today, Lord... I want to live out my calling, the holy calling of God, and I want to walk out that calling that you've given me to walk out today. Because you can either be hiding in a bunker, or you can be hiding somewhere else in your prayer closet. Ooh, that's kind of scary, isn't it? There's a lot of Christians, well, I'm, I'm, I, my calling is to be in my prayer closet. Well, the Bible says pray without ceasing, but you've got to come out sometime. I mean, if you don't get a shower unless you're, prayer closets the bathroom you really got a problem don't you you can't stay in your prayer closet and you're not called to you're called to be a light to the world if your closet's over here and your door shut how are you going to be a light well god answers my prayers and he directs others well he does do that but that's one reason we don't ha we don't see a lot of revival in our countries because everybody else is praying for somebody else to do it maybe he wants you to do it maybe you're the one that will get out and be what he's called you to do. Listen, all I'm, all I'm getting down here today, and I know I've, I've got to close, but all I'm getting down to is just to, to walk out the calling, the worthy, the calling that he's given you, 
is to walk in that relationship this moment, this day, and let everything else happen according to God's plan because it's going to anyway. And you can either fight it or you can walk at peace in it even though it may not be comfortable. But we're not called to comfort. That's not scriptural. We're not called to be comfortable people. We're called to be obedient people. And obedience automatically sets you at odds with the world, which will make you in an uncomfortable place. So what are we going to do? Look at the examples. Live our life according to obedience. Walk in the relationship today. And let Jesus do whatever he's going to do when he's going to do it. And if it is tomorrow, hallelujah, you get to see Jesus face to face. What a day. But if it's not, don't wake up disappointed because you didn't hear the, hear the horn, hear the trumpet. Ah, didn't hear the trumpet this morning. All I heard was an old stupid alarm. Now I've got to get up. Now, some people have set their alarm as a trumpet. <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> you might jump a little hard out of the bed and hurt yourself. <laughs> well, if I jump, I'll get caught up in the air. My trumpet just sounded, no, you're going to land. You're going to hurt your ankle. Now you've got to worry about that too. Live your life in the moment with Jesus Christ. And let him direct your paths. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Amen? Amen. Father we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us all that we need. We thank you Lord that we don't have to walk in uh, greed. Uh, lust. Desiring to fill the things of our flesh. We are dead to those things. And we just need to continue to daily take up that cross, walk that out, live in our relationship with you as we should. And let that be enough. Let that be enough. Yes, we'll study prophecy. Yes, we'll study the word. Yes, we will ask for wisdom. Yes, we will ask for answers. But Lord, you're only going to give us what you want us to know. Because I know that majority of us, if you give us more than we really need we're going to take that and make a big issue out of it next thing you know we've messed up what you've given us we're not supposed to do that let us listen for what you want to tell us right here and right now for this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it thank you jesus we praise your name we thank you for all that you are we thank you for all that you've done we thank you for all that you're doing, and we thank you for what you're going to do because it's all in your hands. And we believe, and we seek you diligently. And we praise you, and all God's people said, Amen and Amen. We have some apples for you. Norman and Debbie had brought in some apples. They went up to an apple picking farm. Did y'all pick them, or did y'all just get them already bagged? Already bagged. Ah, you didn't even pick them. Okay, well, they're still good apples. Anyway, so hang around, and they'll make sure. I think they're going to bring them out from the kitchen, so make sure you get a couple apples before you leave. And God bless you all. So good to see you here. We look forward to see you Wednesday for our Wednesday study. And may God take you where he wants you to go and walk it out in according to his plan. Amen? Amen. An old song just came to mind. A vessel of honor for God, a vessel of honor for God.
sanctified holy that I might be a vessel of honor for God a vessel of honor for God a vessel of honor for God sanctify holy that I might be a vessel of honor for God we have heard God's word we have praised him in song we have shared sweet fellowship a few moments long as we leave this place in jesus tender care we will share his love with people keep us till we gather here or we meet in the air we have heard God's word we have praised him in song we have shared sweet a few moments long as we leave this place in Jesus tender care we will share his love with people everywhere may God keep us till we gather here or we meet in the end. Have a blessed week, everyone.